Amen. We welcome you today. So glad you're here uh, to worship the Lord with us. If you're a guest, especially know that we're delighted that you're here in your uh, worship guide. There's a little place there. It's a little uh, registration card. If you could take that and fill it out and uh, let us know that you were our guest, that would be tremendous. Uh, at the end of the service, I will be in the, in the foyer area. I'd love to greet you. I'd love to give you a copy of a book that I've written, hopefully to encourage you. And I would say my wife would join me, but my wife is with I think a bunch of our other people, and they're on spring break. Thank you, Lord, for spring break. You know what I'm saying? I, can I get a witness, teenagers, students? Amen. Amen. And so, hey, we're just, we're just delighted, delighted that you're here today. It's not an accident that you are at Great Hills Baptist Church on this beautiful March morning, and uh, God has a word for you. God has a word for me. And we're in a series of messages called Help. And today, the title of the message is, Help, My Emotional Life uh, is a Wreck. And so today, we're going to walk through a couple of passages of Scripture, and then at the end, I'm just going to give you some, some very helpful, tangible things that you can do, that you can actuate, you can put them in your life that I really believe that will help you, that will encourage you, that will bolster your spirit and help you as you navigate through some troublesome waters. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you say, I would need this message? Because I am struggling with discouragement. I'm struggling with depression. My emotional life is uh, wreaking havoc upon me. And I, I just need to know, is God there? Does God care? Is there a God? I mean, is, is there help? Is there hope for somebody like me? And let me just reiterate. Let me say it very clearly. Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. There is a God. He loves you. There is an enemy that hates you, but God is for you. I was thinking the other day, you know, this message on discouragement and depression, how long has it taken me to write this message? It's taken me 51 years. That's a long time. I really believe this will be a message that God is going to use in the lives of many people because I'm going to share it with you through my brokenness. I'll share my message with you today through my transparency. For, for many years, I, I have struggled with the noonday demon of discouragement and depression, I, not to the point of being suicidal, not to the point of needing, uh, you know, therapy, but at least to the point of needing medication. That's funny. I, when I was a professor and when I was an itinerant evangelist, I did not need medication until I became a pastor. What in the world does that tell you? But it's true. But you know, I have my calling. I, I know God has called me to be a shepherd, and it's through my brokenness and my hurt that I think is my most effective dimension of my ministry. Uh, because I am transparent, I am vulnerable before the people that I share my life with, and uh, some misunderstand it, but most come alongside and say, thank you, because if you struggle, uh, then maybe it's okay if I struggle. And by the way, it is okay. We all are broken people. We all struggle with something. And I'm just so glad you're here today. Because I really believe God, actually I believe God's going to save somebody's life today from suicide. In our church, we have been battling this. Uh, either people doing it or people calling us and some me and the pastors running over to their home to try to help and encourage them. Um, one million people every year take their life through suicide. For every one that accomplishes it, 20 try and don't accomplish it. 
Every day in America, 22 veterans take their life. Every day, 22 veterans. Some of you here today, I know. It's one of the blessings of being in the church just a few years, coming up on six years. I, I get to know you. I get to enter into your hurt and your pain, and I know where you are, and I believe God is going to do some miracles today. Let, let, let me give you a couple of passages of Scripture. I've quoted them. I've memorized them. And I'm going to read them to you now. You can find them on the screen, or you can find them embedded deeply within my heart. Just a few weeks ago, I started memorizing these verses. And it was like, it, it was like the wind of the Holy Spirit just swept across my life. And every time I started to enter into a dark place, I would quote these verses, and the light would shine upon my life. And over the last two or three months, I have not battled at all with depression. That's a miracle. And I hope that what I can share with you can liberate and help you. The Bible says, now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, and that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, in that verse, there are three key words that I want you to look at, and they're also found in Ephesians 1.19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe? According to the working of God's mighty power, there, there are three operative words, there are three explosive words that if you will take these words and digest them into your spiritual life, God will do a miraculous thing in your life. And those three words are hope power, and belief. Now, in your, in your outline, you, you can see it. The, first of all, we're looking at the biblical study. We're going to look at these passages of Scripture, and we want to exegete them. We want to study them, and we want to hear from the Word of God what God has to say to us. And then the second half of the message is going to be extremely utilitarian. It's going to be very pragmatic. It's going to be very practical. But first, it's going to be very cerebral, <laughs> and then secondly, it's going to be very pragmatic. So, the, the biblical study goes like this. It's Romans 15, 13, and Ephesians 1, 19. And the three words, I want you to write these down, okay? Please write them down. Hope, power, and belief. Notice in Romans 15, 13, it says, and now may the God of hope. He's called the God of hope. You know why? Because He gives hope. Now, hope here is not uh, the nomenclature of, man, I hope so. <laughs> Man, I hope the Cowboys will finally win. Don't hope too much, all right? Don't, that, that's, yeah. Well, you know, I hope this girl will go out with me. I hope this guy will, will you know, ask me out. Or I hope, that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about something far greater. He's talking about something of confident assurance. I know without a shadow of a doubt, that's hope. Hope resides in the very nature and the character of God. God is a God of hope. The devil is a God, he's a, he's a devil of hopelessness and purposelessness. You know, people all the time, they, they share, and they share their hearts, and they say, I just don't have any hope. I, I don't have any purpose. I don't have any peace. I don't have any joy in my life. I don't have any faith in my life, but I do have anger, and I do have depression, and I do have anxiety, and I do have bitterness, and I, and I do have this, this 
agonizing desire for revenge. And I just want you to know something, guys. One or two will dominate your life. Hope, joy, peace, love, and life, or all of these nasty things that I just mentioned a moment ago. But in God, there's none of this, but it's all this. It's hope. Now may the God of hope fill you. Ephesians 1:19, and what is the exceeding power, the greatness of His power, of those who believe in Him according to the working of His mighty power? God is a God of hope. God is a God of power. God is a God that loves you. He wants to invade your hurt, your discouragement, your pain. He wants to meet you right there because, listen, He knows you. He, he crafted you. He created you. The second word I want you to focus on with me today is this word power, okay? Because a lot of times people feel powerless. There there were times when, not here, but in my church in Virginia, there, there were times I would drive, we would be in like four worship services. There would be thousands of people there, and, and I would be driving my car, and I'd pull over on the side of the road and just weep. People think, man, have you lost your mind? Do you know how many guys would give their right arm to be the pastor of that church? you got 3,000 people there. You've got all these great ministries, things are happening. And there I was, debilitated, pulled over on the side of the road, weeping, saying, God, I just wish I didn't have to go there today. Is there anybody else, Lord, you think would want to go preach for me today? That's where I was. And I was struggling with that, deeply struggling with that. And, and God has, has helped me, and God has assuaged that, and He's brought healing to me, and He's brought hope, and it's come through His, through His power in my life. What is the exceeding greatness of God's power, Paul asked? The Greek word is dunamis. Dunamis is, is an interesting word, is it not? Uh, dunamis means explosive, dynamistic, dynamite power. That's the word. I'm in Ephesians 1.19. Please don't miss this. The first word is hope. The second word is power. Write this word in, your, in the margin there when you're taking notes. Write the word dunamis. If you can't spell the Greek word dunamis, just write dynamite. That's where we get the word dynamite. What is the exceeding greatness of God's dynamite power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power? Now, it's one of the reasons I love studying the Greek language is because there are two English words there, power, but they're absolutely, totally different Greek words. The first one is dunamis. You know what the second one is? It's kratos. You may want to write that word down, K-R-A-T-O-S. Kratos means God's sheer, undeniable, unimaginable, impregnable power, His unparalleled, incomparable power, the power of God that spoke the universe into existence, the power of God that raised up His Son from the dead, the power of God that crafted every one of us in His image, that's Him. That's the God of hope, and that's the God of, of power. Some of you are saying, well, if God is all that, why, why, do I, why am I so alone, and why am I so helpless, and why am I so powerless? And, and we put this empty chair here for a reason because it's single, solitary, lonely chair, and that's, that's where many of you sit. That's where many of you are, and you hurt. And we want to leave this chair here, up here today as a reminder. Who knows, I might even, I might even go counselor on you and sit in it, you know. Oh, by the way, speaking of counseling, 
I'm a huge proponent of it. And if you need it, get it. If you need medicine, get it. If you break your arm, go to an orthopedic doctor. If your emotions are broken, get help. In Jesus' name, get help. Please get help. We, we can help you, by the way. We have resources. We have money. We have counselors. We can, we can help you. But you got to want to be helped. It's kind of like accepting Christ as your Savior. You, you have to step out in faith and say, I need you, God. I need help. And then watch what God does. The third word that I want you to write down is so important because all three of these words, this, this triumvirate of words, if you will, is believe. I love this word, believe, faith, trust. They're all synonyms for the same thing, that God is a God of hope and God is a God of power. And when we believe that and when we really actually believe in it and act on it, God begins to heal us and God begins to, God get, begins to instill that, that hope. It, it, but, but here it is, if the, if the dam, if the mighty obstruction is standing over you and that dam and that obstruction has a name and it's, and it's unbelief and it's hurt and it's hopelessness and purposelessness. Let's say that dam, it, it rises high and it, and it blocks all the flow of the water of God and, it, and the river of life that wants to break through the dam and it wants to come and wash over your soul. Let me, let me tell you what explodes the dam and takes away the obstruction. It is faith. It is faith. It is trusting God. Faith is the match. That when it is struck, the Holy Spirit of God is ignited in your life. Faith, hope, trust, belief. I, I cannot overemphasize how important these are. Over the last few weeks as I've been going through this journey and through this battle, and by the way, let, let, me, let me say this. Some of you don't raise your hand, but it would astound you people. Listen. It would absolutely blow your mind if I were to ask you, and you'd be very vulnerable, raise your hand if you are considering suicide. People, you would have to sit down and say, oh my, oh my, I had no idea the people sitting in this room would feel that way. Or if I were to have you raise your hand, if you ever felt that way, you'd be amazed that the hands that would go up, and that's why I'm, I'm preaching this, because I want to help you. And I want to offer hope to you, but in my journey, here's, here's kind of the way I've, I've come through it. And it was like, it's like the light came on. It's like, why, why haven't I done this before? And some of you may be asking, well, why do I even deal with this, Brother Danny? Yeah, my wife, I love her. She don't worry about nothing. And I worry enough for all, all I, really for the whole church, but, but she, she didn't worry about anything. She's just happy. You know why? Because she believes. She just believes God. She said, what's the worst thing that can happen to you, Dan? They just fire you at the church? Well, then get fired and we'll go start over. Let's go, let's go out to eat. I'm like, what? What's that? <laughs> no, no, no. Let's work this thing out. Man. We, we got to please everybody. She goes, listen, you're not going to please everybody. And she's just happy. Why do you deal with it? Why do I deal with it? I, have, I, I really don't know. Except maybe one thing. Stay with me. 
God lets you deal with it. Because he wants you to help somebody. He wants you to help somebody. He's let me deal with it. I can never preach the sermon if I haven't dealt with it on a very deep, guttural level. But because I have, God's going to use me to save somebody's life today. In, in my ministry, I have a newsletter. I, I send it out all over the country, and I'm going to put this sermon. They're going to put it in a CD, and they're going to mail it all over the country. And I really believe, whether it's on KBVO or somebody somewhere and wherever, they're going to open it, they're going to listen to it, and God's going to save their life. And I'm, I'm grateful. And it will be worth it. Okay, so let, let me talk to you about these seven principles, and I really hope you jot these down because memorizing Romans 15, 13 and Ephesians 1, 19 and reading the hope quotient have absolutely radical, radically changed my life. Uh, beside the Bible, I don't know of another book that has impacted me as much as Hope Quotient by Pastor Ray Johnston. Daniel Van Cleve would say, Pastor, you really need to read this book. I said, I know, Daniel, that'd be a great book. And I'm like, I don't have time. Listen, I get more references, more recommendations for articles, books, tapes, CDs, DVDs. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I would spend all my time reading what y'all asked me to read. I'm like, Daniel, I was thinking, I, I, I love him. I'm like, thanks, but no thanks. I'll put it on my list. And the Holy Spirit's like, you better listen. And I said, oh, so I took it out and read it, changed my life, healed me. You say, what's, what's the name of that book again, brother? How do, you, how do you say that? Hope Quotient by Dr. Ray, Pastor Ray Johnston. Pastor's a 13,000-member church in Sacramento, California. I personally wrote him a handwritten note this week, and I said, I just want you to know something. I sure do. Thank you. Thank you for writing this book. In the book, he has seven principles to help people with depression, to help people with discouragement to give people hope and belief and power and faith and trust. And this is going to be very practical, and I want you to hear my heart. And I've been trying to get out at noon. I may not make it today, okay? Uh, I may not make it, so just, just hang in there with me. Uh, but these seven principles, I, I love Ray Johnston. He, he had a childhood like mine. It's not pretty. It was not easy. And he said, I deal with these things on a, on a powerful level. But one day God showed me something. It absolutely set me free. And he said, this is what I did. I went and sat in a chair. I was discouraged. I was worried. I was depressed. I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I told God, God, I'm, your Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 7, that if we cast our cares on you, you'll take care of us because you do care for us. So let me cast my cares on you. So that's what Ray Johnson did. Literally, he went... If I remember the story correctly, he went into his room, his living room. Man, that's high. That's up there. My short legs, they just dangle. They can't reach. And so this is what he did. He sat in his living room. He says, okay, God. The Bible says, cast all of my cares upon you because you care for me. So this is what I'm going to do. God, I can't handle it. And so I'm, I'm giving it to you, and I'm going to bed. And that's what he did. He gave it to God and went to bed. And he said, and I've been doing that, and I found that there's something very therapeutic and powerful in doing that. 
So let, let me give you these. Uh, number one, he said you need to recharge your batteries. Uh, you, you've, you've got to get some, you got to get some time where you are re-energized, where you feel like, uh, you, you know, I, I, I've I'm running on empty. I, I just need, you know, every car I've seen that runs out of gas, it stops. You ever notice that? And every human being that runs, 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 and does not take time off, man, I'm reading this book going, oh, mercy, this is going to be convicting. And it was convicting. I don't have any problem being a workaholic. It, it's, it's just in me. It's that people pleaser in me. I really think part of me getting a Ph.D. was to please my dad. Ain't that weird? I twisted. Because he constantly told me I, I was dumb. I was ignorant. And so I said, well, I'm going to show you. And so I go through. <laughs> I'm glad I got it. Amen. But you, that's not a good way to live. Sometimes you just have to back up, slow down. He said, here are some things that kill your passion. Unkind critics unbalanced schedules, and unnecessary guilt. He said, these things will squeeze the life out of you, but here are some things that will re-energize you, and they will recharge you. And I've, wrote, I've written these down. And remember, he's a pastor, and he's coming to us from a place of truth. He says, understand that you must invest in your own growth. You must understand the power of worship. Understand the power of the Word of God. And be careful to whom you listen. All those are very powerful in re-energizing, re-activating, reigniting our dwarfed spiritual life. Sometimes he says you just got to back away and receive instead of give. And that last one really got me. He said, be careful who you listen to. By the way, who do you think speaks? to 22 veterans every day that take their life? Who do you think speaks? To one million people worldwide, according to the World Health Organization, one million people are dying, another 20 for every one are trying to commit suicide. The devils of hell are speaking, and they're shouting, it's not worth it, nobody cares, nobody will miss you, just go ahead and end it. Oh, who's speaking? That's the devil speaking. And yet Jesus says, don't listen to that, listen to me. I created you. You're one of a kind. If I wanted to make you thinner, I would have made you thinner. If I wanted to make you taller, I'm going to talk to the Lord about that when we get to glory, all right? Why didn't you make me taller? I'm, I think I know why. If I was six foot eight, I would not be preaching. I'd be slamming a basketball. I'd be, I'd be scoring touchdowns because I just know that's, that's what I would do. And so God made me this short little thing and says, you just go and be the person I've called you to be. Listen, don't listen to certain voices. There's a little fella. He was at the restaurant with his mom. And he said, mom, do you mind if I say the blessing, the prayer? Now, he's little. He's like five, four or five years of age. And she said, well, sure, honey, go ahead and pray. He said, God is great. God is good. I thank you, Lord, for this food. Thank you, Lord, for the ice cream that my mama is about to get for me. She doesn't know she's going to get it. <laughs> but thank you, Lord, for ice cream and liberty and justice for all. Amen. People laughed. In, in the restaurant, people laughed, except one person. She was like, 
How dare you pray like that? Kids these days just have no respect. Asking God for ice cream, ridiculous. Little boy's eyes swelled up with tears. He said, Mommy, did I say something wrong? Is God mad at me? See, that mom, she almost laid hands on that woman. It, it, was, it was amazing restraint that she didn't lay hands on that woman. But this man walked up to the little boy and said, Hey, little man, I happen to know God. And God thinks your prayer is amazing, that you would ask him for ice cream. You know, that lady that was so mean, she needs some ice cream. <laughs> So about that time, the mom, she goes, come here, come here. She called a waitress over. She goes, give me the biggest bowl that you have in this restaurant. And you pack it with all the ice cream that you can possibly put in it, and you bring it to my son. And she said, okay, ma'am. And she did. She brought out a big old whopping bowl of, of bluebell. It had to be bluebell, amen. And it was just poured up with ice cream. And true, listen, the little boy, he looked at it, and without hesitating, he picked it up. He gave it to the woman, and he said, Ma'am, everybody needs a little ice cream. He gave it to him. Be careful, Pastor Johnson says, be careful who you listen to. Don't listen to that, that woman. Don't slap her. You want to, but don't do it. <laughs> listen to that guy who said, Hey, I know God. God loves you, little man. God thinks that's awesome. Focus on worship. Focus on the Word of God. He says, unwind, recharge your batteries. Number two, he says, raise your expectation. Raise your expectation. By this, he means believe God for better days. Can I say that again? Believe God for better days. Commenting on Romans 15, 13, Leon Morris said this. Listen to these words. Very powerful. No one can really hope unless by faith he turns away from the past. Nobody can really have hope until they turn away from the past, that is, from yourself, to offer yourself to God who is the creator and dispenser of the world to come. You get that? He says, raise your expectation. The third thing he says, which is very similar to the second, is refocus on the future. Refocus on the future. So many times people get discouraged and depressed because they wallow in the mire of yesteryear. And it's like they, they just can't get out of their past. And, and just when they feel like they're about to get out of the past, they, they reach back into it and they worry. And, and I, I'm supposed to say this at the end, but I've got to say this now. God gave me this word, and I want to share this with you. Worry is like alcohol it's like marijuana, it's like cocaine. It gives you a quick fix only to damage and hurt you in the end. That's a good word. I didn't know I was such an addict. I was addicted to worry because if I worried about it, I'd get this little rush, this little, oh man, I gotta work that. And then later I'd just feel like junk. And it'd be something that happened in the past. Refocus on your future. Listen, the past is the past. The present is now, 
But praise God, what has He got for you in the future? Listen, nobody ever took their life excited about the future. Y'all ever heard the name Howard Hendricks? Howard Hendricks taught theology for 50 years at the Dallas Theological Seminary. He taught people like Chuck Swindoll. You ever heard that name? You ever heard the name David Jeremiah out in California? Well, Dallas Theological Seminary professor Howard Hendricks died just a few years ago. And Chuck Swindoll said, you know, he changed my life. I wrote a paper one time in seminary, and he gave it back to me, and he said, Chuck, one day, oh, the power of words. He said, one day you're going to write. And he went on to become a prolific, amazing author. Proverbs 12, 25 is my favorite proverb, and it says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. I believe David dealt with depression. I know Jonah did. I know Elijah did. I think Paul may have. I'm pretty sure Timothy did, and I'm quite sure Peter did. When Howard Hendricks was a baby, his parents divorced. His grandmother raised him. He was a hellion. He was awful. His fifth grade teacher said, come here. She was so mad, she taped him to a chair. She put duct tape over his mouth. Try that today in a public school. See where that gets you. <laughs> and she looked at him, she says, you're horrible. She says, you and blah, 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 and she named four of them. She says, you five are going to end up in the state penitentiary. She was a prophet. Three of the five that she called out went to prison. but not Howard Hendricks. You want to know why? Because Miss No, N-O-E, somehow he made it out alive in the fifth grade. He showed up to matriculate to the sixth grade, and when he went in class, Howard Hendricks sat just like this, just daring Mrs. No to just say anything, and he was on. He was ready to fight. He was ready to argue. He was ready to cause trouble. And Miss Snow, she called, did I not name Howard Hendricks? Are you here? He said, yes. She goes, oh, I've heard a lot about you. He goes, he was kind of smiling, going, that's right. And then she said, I don't believe a word of it. I don't believe any of it. Howard Hendricks said, it changed my life, radically changed my life. I thought for a minute, she said, he said, somebody believes in me. And he went on to become a professor of theology for 50 years because of a sixth grade teacher who said, I don't believe a word of it. I believe you. I believe you're a good young man. Power of words. Hendricks could focus on the past or he could focus on the present of what he heard and live from it. Number four, play to your strengths. Play to your strengths. Now, this, this message is helping somebody that's discouraged. Some of you don't battle discouragement. You don't battle depression like, like my wife. But you still ought to take notes because you know somebody who does. Number five, 
or number four, play to your strengths. What does that mean? Play to your strengths means God has gifted you, and you need to do what God has gifted you to do. A couple weeks ago, we took the staff on a staff retreat up to East Texas, and uh, Spencers were so gracious to us. They let us stay in their ranch home, and all those acres, and four-wheelers, and shooting guns. Josh, I, I never hit that skeet. I don't think I ever will hit a skeet. I mean, I just, my shoulder hurt, my, my face hurt. I put this, the, the, what do you call it? The, the butt of the gun, I put it up there. I woke up next morning, I feel like somebody hit me in the jaw. Poor, poor soul. I was just like shooting everywhere. She, I couldn't, couldn't do it. But man, I had a good time. We, we recharged our batteries. We just got away and had fun. Before we did, we went and heard a message by J.D. Greer, and J.D. Greer said these words. He says, play to your strengths. And he says, I tell young people this all the time. Young people say, I want to know God's will, but I can't find it. He says, no, God's, God's not hiding His will from your life. Let me tell you what God's will for your life is. This is powerful. Listen, guys, please listen. Don't miss this. Find out what you're good at and do it. Leverage it for the gospel. Everybody who does that, they're blessed. They play to their strengths. You know, I have a PhD in history, basically. I love history. I love to read. I love to preach. I love to study. But if you put me in a mathematics room, a class, I, I, I talked to Amanda's mom. Um, oh, we forgot. What's Amanda's mom's name? Pittman, it's her last name. Carol, she told me the other day, she goes, I have a master's degree in statistics. And I almost hugged her like, bless you. I mean, you know. One of the funniest days in my life was when I was taking a Ph.D. seminar, and the first, uh, it was in ethics, and the professor came in. This is a true story. I did not know this. I sat down, I was ready for the seminar, and he goes, class, I just got to let y'all know, for the first six months, we're going to do statistics. And I, I almost passed out, almost like, a lady from Texas A&M, thank you, she said, it's okay, Brother Danny, I'll help you. I'm, I'm an engineer graduate from A&M, and I will coach you, I will tutor you through statistics. And she did, or else I wouldn't have made, listen, I'm not going to teach statistics. I'm not going to operate on anybody. I'm going to preach the Word of God because that's what I do. It's what I'm good at. I'm going to read history. I'm going to teach history. And I tell you, there is joy in doing what you're good at. Remember that. That's a good word. Number five, don't go it alone. Refuse to do it alone. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. <laughs> he did. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Those who struggle with depression spend way too much time by themselves. I know. Those who struggle with depression spend way too much time by themselves. You need to get out, not go it alone, spend time with each other. In fact, the Bible has multiple verses that talk about the one another's of Scripture. There's a word cloud that I came across, and I got it up here on the screen. I want you to see it just to help you that if you're in an isolationist like me, and if you just want to be with you, yourself, and your I, then, then think about what Paul says and the gospel writers say, greet one another, encourage one another, serve one another, prefer one another. Listen, you can't do any of that alone. Sometimes, you know, when, when I'm in my study, and, and, and literally there are times, and I, 
I did it again this week. I'm trying to do better, but I'll get in there very early. Kathy will run out and get me a sandwich, and I've gone from eight, and it's six o'clock, and I'm, I'm still sitting there. Some of y'all are going, dude, you need a life. You, you need a life. No, for me to prepare a sermon like this, it, takes t- it just takes a lot of time. It may not take you very long. It takes me a ton of time. Because first of all, I've got to study it. And then I've got to live it. Because if I don't live it, I can't preach it. Don't go it alone. Bring people into your world. Let somebody disciple you. Let somebody meet with you. Refuse to go it alone. Next, replace burnout with balance. Pastor Johnson, it's a good word. He said, replace your burnout with balance. He says, so many people are stressed out because there's no more margin in their life. There's no space. Jim Burns of Homeward Ministries shared with the group in Chicago, he said, Fifteen years ago, I had an affair, and he was a pastor. Boy, the room got really quiet. He said, this affair almost destroyed my marriage, my kids, my health, and my ministry. The affair was not with another woman. It was with my job. It was with my work. It was with my ministry. Replace burnout with balance. Johnson says, if you are burning both ends of the candle, you're not too bright. That, that's pretty good. That was worth the price of admission today, wasn't it? If you're burning it at both ends of the candle, you're not too smart. You're not too bright. I received that. Jack Graham, a friend of mine, love him in Preston Wood. Brother Kurt, you know him. Where's Kurt? I saw Kurt, Pat. Listen to this word from, pa- from Pastor Jack. He said, I don't want to burn out. I don't want to rust out. I don't want to flame out. I want to max out. I like that. That is good. The last, uh, one of the last songs I put on my iPod was from Switchfoot. Uh, John uh, Foreman, Nate Engel, you're friends with some of those guys in Switchfoot. You'll, you'll love this song. In fact, let it out. I went over to Nate's uh, office the other day. And I said, Nate, have you heard this? And it was John Foreman blaring out, let it out. And they're, they're a rock group out of San Diego. And, and, and Nate said, man, you ought to listen to all the other songs on the album. And they're amazing. I was like, okay. So I, lo- I got it, and I listened to it. And this is what he said. <laughs> I'm trying to sing it, but it's too high. Oh, hold on. <laughs> He says, are you holding on? Are you up against those ropes? Because I know how it feels to lose hope. Are you holding in? Well, let it out. Take a breath. Let it out. From the day we're born, we are scarred and torn. Y'all remember that? Guys, y'all heard that? We've been... We've been hurt for way too long. Listen to this. But we don't care no more. That's my favorite line. So we don't care no more because we know life is short. We don't care who hears us now. We're just going to breathe it in and let it out. I like that. Y'all may want to try doing that. You burn out. You're stressed out. You're freaked out. 
Just take a deep breath and let it out. Say, God, I give that to you. I'm going to bed. I'm going, I'm going to take it easy. Take it easy right now. I like that. Y'all ought to listen to it. It's, it's good. Sounds just like Amazing Grace. Just kidding. It doesn't. The seventh and final word is play great defense. Indulge me just a minute. I know I'm, I know I'm over, but listen. When I read Hope Quotient, I filled out the questionnaire. And the questionnaire says, according to what you just wrote, chapter 11 is going to change your life. So guess what I did? I ran to chapter 11, and the chapter 11 was play great defense. He said, let me give you some toxic hope killers. Does this sound familiar? Man, he just read my mail. Bitterness, worry, looking back and comparing, guilt, past failures. Does that bother any of you? And I was like, dude, you're five for five. He says, well, you need to play great defense. You need to Find out where you're struggling and defend yourself. And that's where God came. That's where God stepped into the life of your pastor. And I'm changed. The, the, the first thing God really pounded on me, he says, you need to take time off. I've got friends in this church that are begging me to take sabbaticals. And, I, and they do that because they love me. Because they know me probably better than most, because they know that I, I do give it all that I've got. But I'm learning to, to unwind and, and not work as hard, and it's really liberating. By the way, I, recomm I recommend it. Take some more time off. Spend more time with your family. Unwind. Oh, by the way, thank you all for the bike. I was riding, Becky, I was riding like a wild man yesterday. I rode three miles. I know it's not very far, but I was just about hooting and hollering. That bike is, fits me to the T. I was sitting on that thing. Man, I was moving. I got up to about 23 miles an hour. Wow, moving. I'm like, this is fun. I'm, amen. Y'all try it. Maybe you do it on your tricycle. Yeah, it's fun. The, the other thing I learned, and, and hear my heart on this, because I'm going to really run the risk of being misunderstood, what I'm about to say, but I want you to hear my heart on this. Being a person of words, you know, it's, it's, it's tough being a pastor if you're a person of words, because it's not if, it's when. Somebody's going to chew you out, they're going to vomit on you, they're going to be angry with you, and it, you're going to get it, you're going to receive it. But here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that's just part of my job. But I don't have to let it define me or kill me. I can build in margins, I can build in boundaries, and I can say, hey, I hear you, I love you, let's pray. I like that. Meet with the person, pray with them, try to encourage them. You know, I'm, I find that when you don't get your father's approval, you try to get everybody's approval. Did, did you just really say that? <laughs> Is that false? Hey, here's Miss Pittman. Hey. No, help me. Is that, is that not true? James, is that not true? If you don't get a father's approval, you'll try to get everybody's approval, especially precious girls.
Abraham Lincoln said, and I close with the great 16th president of the United States of America when he said, I do not know the key to success, but I do believe the key to failure is try to please everybody. <laughs> That's my life. That's me. And um, I'm praising God today that I've never been more optimistic and joyful in ministry than I have been these last few days. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for letting me sit in the chair, let me share my heart with you. Now let me ask you this, what about you? How many of you are struggling? You need some encouragement. You need some hope. You need somebody to just come alongside you and pray. Listen, today we're going to have pastors up here. We're going to have counselors. We're going to have deacons. We're going to have people of you. Listen, don't go it alone. I don't know which one really spoke to you. Maybe that one spoke to you. Share your burden. A burden shared is half as heavy. Let somebody in. Let somebody talk to you. Listen, and we can recommend you. Kyle Miller's the best counselor in the whole city of Austin, and he's on our team. It may take you a little while to get into him, but if it does, then let us help recommend you to somebody else. Maybe, maybe you just need to, maybe you just need to do what I do. Meet with Meet with a group of guys every Thursday morning. Man, I have a good time with those guys. I mean, we just share our hearts, hold one another accountable, and maybe you need to do that. Get into an accountability uh, a group. But I will close with this. You know, I said I'd close 20 minutes ago. I lied. I'm sorry. I, I, I shouldn't have told you I'd close soon. This is the last word, though. Here it is. You got to believe got to believe that God is who He says He is. And you got to trust Him. Would you trust Him now? Only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. He will save you. You now trust Him. Let me pray for you. As you bow your heads, close your eyes. Here we go. We're going right into the very throne room of God, and we're going to talk to God, and we're going to have our invitation. If you're here today, God forbid that you leave. Unless your bladder is about to burst, or you've gotten paged because your child is acting like Howard Hendricks, then, then I need you to stay, okay? Really, this could save your life. Literally prevent you from taking your life. So pastors, if y'all come on up, and decision counselors, if y'all could start making your way here. If somebody comes to the altar, if anybody comes forward, I want you to meet them, and I want you to pray with them. I want you to encourage them, okay? Father, thank you for our time together. Lord, we, we are people of hope because you are a God of hope. And now may the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing that we may abound and overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we would know what the exceeding greatness of His power is in us that believe, according to the working of God's mighty kratos and power. Lord, I pray that You would drive the demons of hell away, that Holy Spirit of God, You would speak peace and life and joy into his heart, O oh God, 
into his suicidal mind that you would just say, peace, be still. Jesus, I pray that you would save lives today, God, that there would be salvation overflowing and abundant today, and there would be sanctification where believers are yielded afresh and anew. Lord, would you take my brokenness and my weakness, oh God, and my transparency and my vulnerability, and, and Lord, would you, would you please use it in somebody's life? Because if you do, oh God, then it, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. If you'll do it for one person, God, if you will set them free like you set me free, it's not in vain. God, move. I beg you to move. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? God bless you as you stand. We're going to sing. We're going to ask you to come. We're going to ask you not to wait. If you'd make your way out and just come to the altar, maybe just want to kneel and pray. I'm going to ask our people if they would join you at that place and just pray with you and encourage you. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray now. Y'all sing, and God bless you as you come. Brother Terry, Corey, y'all go ahead.